Exodus chapter 20. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and mother, for your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is, that is your neighbor's. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us, and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us, lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. And the Lord said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the people of Israel, You have seen for yourselves that I have talked with you from heaven. You shall not make gods of silver to be with me, nor shall you make for yourselves gods of gold. An altar of earth you shall make for me, and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings your sheep, and your oxen. In every place where I cause my name to be remembered, I will come to you and bless you. If you make me an altar of stone, you shall not build it out of hewn stones, for if you wield your tool on it, you profane it. And you shall not go by the steps to my altar, that your nakedness may be not exposed on it. Thank you. Uh, thank you for reading for us, John. Uh, please do keep that scripture passage open. We're going to be especially looking at uh, the Ten Commandments today. Um, before we do that, though, I did want to uh, just give a brief um, announcement about our building search. What I am planning to do is just before our sermon each week, just give a, a brief announcement and then just pray for that search. So some of us gathered for prayer last week uh, to commit that to the Lord. Um, our team that are scouting out different buildings are still meeting. They're hoping to uh, soon converge on uh, the best option for us. And actually next Sunday, 
the elders are going to be having a brief meeting just to examine what's out there, what our options are, and, and who knows, hopefully soon we will have uh, more news to share. But uh, why don't I pray and commit that to the Lord and uh, also commit our time in his word together. And Father God, you, uh, you've gathered us as your people to worship and praise you. We thank you for the place that we're gathered now. And uh, Lord, we know that you have prepared a place for us. There is uh, somewhere that you are calling us to go and to be. So Lord, we pray that you would provide that, that you provide uh, wisdom and insight and discernment to our team and to our elders. And Lord, we pray that you would lead us and that we would joyfully follow. And Lord, we pray now as we come to your word that you will uh, speak to us clearly. Thank you, Lord, that you have spoken to us clearly. And so we pray that by your spirit, you'd soften our hearts, help us to understand. Uh, Lord, you say that your law is perfect, reviving the souls. And we are people whose souls need reviving, people who need wisdom, people who are simple and need to be made wise. So we pray that you will uh, speak to us by your spirit through your word this morning. And we ask all of this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Well, you can argue I've bitten off a little more than I can chew this morning. Uh, first, I've decided to cover the Ten Commandments in one sermon. Uh, often you'll see 10 weeks, 11 weeks, kind of an extended series on, on this, so I guess I'll keep that in my back pocket for the future. Um, secondly, I think we could say that this is one of the more unpopular parts of the Bible. Uh, what I mean is this, outside of the church, people have very little time today for the Ten Commandments. They once had a prominent place. Um, now we are pulling them down from our courtrooms. And I sense that they are equally unpopular inside the church. Maybe we're kind of pulling them down from our churches as well. Uh, they used to be something that every Christian would learn by heart. Uh, now, don't worry, I'm not actually going to do this, but I imagine if I picked any one of you at random, you might struggle to uh, recount all 10, or at least to do so in the right order. Maybe if we all pitched in, we could kind of uh, get these together. Uh, now, I'm sure there are various reasons for this unpopularity. Uh, for one, there is a very healthy shift away from legalism. Uh, now, legalism is the idea that we, we have to follow these rules in order to be right with God. Uh, and thankfully, that idea is, is widely condemned in the church, as it should be. Uh, we aren't saved by keeping God's law. Uh, we are saved through faith in Jesus Christ and through faith alone. Uh, but unfortunately, I think that causes many people to, to kind of throw the baby out with the bathwater and, and jettison the law completely. You get the idea that the law is there just to make us feel bad about ourselves. And so, well, most of us already feel bad enough about ourselves, so, so I guess that's what led us to become Christians, so now we can put the law behind us. And it is true that the Lord drives us to Christ. It exposes our need for Christ, but it doesn't stop there. The law and the Ten Commandments especially do, or at least should play, a vital role in the life of the Christian. And what I want to do in the next few moments is, is try to persuade you of that. Being true to Exodus 20, I want to give you a kind of apologetic to defend why we should love the Ten Commandments today. Maybe why we might even go home and memorize them this afternoon. You see, the problem is I think we miss what these commandments are really all about. We fail to see the context, the situation in which God gave them. What the Ten Commandments really show us is this. This really is the life-changing truth of our passage this morning. In response to God's mercy, he has called us into a relationship with himself. And that relationship has far-reaching implications that are relevant to all of life. 
Let me say that again. In response to his mercy, God has called us into a relationship with himself. And that relationship has far-reaching implications relevant to all of life. Uh, that's the statement I'm going to unpack in, uh, in this sermon. And you might have noticed there are four R's in there. Uh, firstly, we, we need to see the Ten Commandments are a response. They're a response. Secondly, we need to understand that they are relational. They're about a relationship with God and with other people. And thirdly, we need to understand they're far-reaching. We have to understand the reach of these commandments. And finally, they're relevant, relevant to us today. Uh, firstly, the Ten Commandments are a response. They're a response. In other words, uh, we should never forget the Ten Commandments are given to people who are already saved. Uh, God isn't asking Israel to do these things before he rescues them from Egypt. Uh, nor is this some sort of condition or they need to meet before they get saved. The Ten Commandments are not like a scorecard. Uh, you're meant to check off the boxes and then submit them to God and get some sort of reward in their place. And now all of this is a response to what God has done. Uh, look at verse 2. Before God asks anything from them, God reminds them what he has done for them. Verse 2. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Uh, there is so much packed into that phrase. Uh, I am the Lord. Uh, whenever you see that word all in capital letters, it, it means it refers to God's special covenant name. Uh, and he, God says, I am the Lord, your God. He, he's not just the God, that is true, he's the one true living God, but he is their God. He's already established a relationship with them all the way back in his promises to Abraham. Uh, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Uh, God shows his love in action with a mighty hand. He's delivered them from the oppression of Pharaoh. He has brought them out of the house of slavery. God has set them free. And so what the Ten Commandments are about is this. Now that they are free, how should they live? How should they respond to the great mercy of God? And the answer is this. God has shown them his covenant love, and, and he calls for their love in return. Look at the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. Well, that makes sense, doesn't it? Given who God is, given what God has done, uh, we ought to respond to him with praise, giving him ourselves. Uh, notice the responsive nature of this. God loves us. God saves us first. And then we give our lives in response to him. Uh, when we look at the Ten Commandments, I think it's very easy to miss this one point. Uh, where do these commandments appear? The answer is they appear in Exodus chapter 20. Uh, now I've got an incredible biblical insight for you. Um, Exodus chapter 20 comes after Exodus chapters 1 through 19. Before this, we get 19 other chapters, 19 chapters all about who God is, all about what God has done. And if you read them, you'll discover in those chapters there is only one hero, and the hero isn't Moses, nor is it the people of Israel. We know that for sure. The only hero is God. He is the one who saves. And listen, I think this is one of the problems of pulling these verses out of context. Maybe even one of the problems of putting them at the front of church or at the front of a courthouse. It gives the impression that these just kind of stand alone, as if they're just ten generic, abstract principles of, of civil government or something. But in their original context, they are a response. That's the key. They're a response to the saving grace of God. In fact, uh, turn back with me to Romans chapter 12, the passage that we read just earlier, Romans chapter 12. 
and uh, verse 1, we see this exact same logic, the, the exact same thing in the New Testament, don't we? I mean, I've already said this, but to paint the picture of the context, uh, just as we have 19 chapters before the Ten Commandments, we have these 11 chapters before we get to uh, Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. Uh, Paul has spent 12 chapters glorifying in this free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. We've been made right with God. We've been set free through Christ. Uh, and now only after 11 chapters of what God has done for us, what does he say in verse 1? He says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, on the basis of what God has done, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Uh, we see this pattern again and again in, in Paul's letters and, and also beyond. It's like the Bible authors are obsessed with what God has done for us. That's kind of their heartbeat. And they can't bring themselves to ask anything of us without making it very, very clear this is a response to what God has done. If we get this wrong, it's not that only the Ten Commandments we'll misunderstand, but, but I think we'll misunderstand the very heart of Christianity. That we'll think it's about being a good person, about following all the rules. Uh, and of course, even as Christians, we make this mistake if not in theory, we make it in practice. We believe it's all about what we do for God rather than what God has done for us. And, and so we're always worrying, worrying that if we, we step wrong in some way, then, then we'll be out of God's will or we'll have God's second best or something. Now, now don't get me wrong, obedience to God does matter, as we'll see, but, but we need to understand obedience is always a response to what God has done. And the Ten Commandments are a response. They are God's word to people who have already been saved. They're not some sort of roadmap to salvation. And I think realizing that diffuses one of the very reasons they're so unpopular. Uh, talk about the law, the Ten Commandments, and, and some of us start to twitch. We start to worry. Oh, is, this, is this legalism? Now, I have to say, I think that's a good allergy to have. It's good to be allergic to legalism. I think, you know, we do need to be allergic to this idea that through our works we can be made right with God. But the antidote to legalism isn't to jettison God's law. It is to put God's law in its proper place. God's law calls for a response. But secondly, we need to understand the Ten Commandments are all about a relationship. First and foremost, they're about a relationship with God. It's interesting to note, as you look at the Ten Commandments, there are ten of them, but, but they're kind of heavily weighted towards the first four, aren't they? I mean, look at the text itself there, and you'll see it kind of the ones we tend to focus on, the ones about our relationship with others, kind of get just checked off really quickly. Don't murder, don't steal, etc. They're just kind of listed out before us. It's about a relationship with God. And this spotlights another way that we can tend to downplay or even disparage the Ten Commandments. We often think of them as a list of rules and regulations. I mean, what do they say? Thou shalt not, thou shalt not. And perhaps it reminds us of that poster in the office about OSHA compliance. Uh, maybe it reads like the latest set of guidelines from the EPA. I mean, who loves rules and regulations? I mean, the government, I guess. But isn't Christianity about having a relationship? Isn't it about a loving relationship with a God who saves us? I mean, rules and regulations seem to be the very opposite of a relationship, don't they? Uh, policies exist because relationships don't. If you're married over lunch today, try presenting your spouse with a, a policy document covering how you're going to approach date nights. Uh, and you may well find yourself eating lunch alone. Uh, but when it comes to the Ten Commandments, there, this is something we need to understand. Uh, this set of rules is as relational as it gets. In fact, it reads less like a set of rules and more like a set of wedding vows. 
Look down with me at verse 3. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Therefore, verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me, or or we could say no other gods in addition to him. Uh, I want to be your only love. I want to be your first love, says God. Uh, Look at how verse 4 continues. You shall not make for yourselves a carved image uh, or any likeness or anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath. Uh, that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. Uh, Why? Because because God doesn't like art? Is that it? Uh, No, uh, God says. uh, You shall not do these things, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. God is jealous. What, What on earth does that mean? Well, we often get jealousy and envy mixed up, don't we? Uh, To be envious is to want something that isn't yours. Uh, But to be jealous is to cherish something that is yours, something that does belong to you. Uh, And God is our God. Uh, We are his people. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the house of slavery. Uh, God, therefore, wants us. Uh, God wants us for himself. God is jealous for us, not in some sort of abusive and controlling way, but in a loving way. Uh, In his love, he wants our undivided attention. And see how this is much more like a a wedding vow than a rule in that sense. I mean, what do people say when they get married? Uh, This is what I usually ask the groom. Bob, will you take Sheila to be your wife? To live together in the covenant of marriage, will you love her, comfort her, honor her and keep her, and forsaking all others, be faithful to her as long as you both shall live? Uh, Later in the service, the bride and the groom usually both say these words, with my body I honor you. All that I am, I give to you. God has made his commitment to Israel. He's rescued them from Egypt. He's carried them on eagles' wings. He's brought them to himself. He's making them his treasured possession. He is committed to them. And and now in these commandments, he's simply asking them to return and, and commit to him. He has given them his all. And now he's asking them to give their all to him. In fact, Jesus himself says, quoting from Deuteronomy, uh, what God is ultimately calling for is this. God is calling for his people to love him, to love him with all of their heart, with all of their mind, with all of their soul, and with all of their strength. And can you see how how relational that is? Can you see how that's very different from a list of rules, a list of regulations? Uh, The heart of God's law is love. It's all about love. All of the commandments are about love. Uh, The first four are about loving God, putting him first in our thoughts, in our words, in our time. Uh, And the next six, what are they about? Well, they're all about loving other people. Uh, They're all about wanting what is best for someone else. Uh, They're all about love. Love is the heart of the law. In other words, we shouldn't read God's law and treat it like some sort of thousand-page government bill. This is our God, a God who loves us, calling us uh, to live a life of love in response to him. I remember that summary statement, in response to his mercy, God calls us into a relationship with himself. That's what the Ten Commandments are all about. They are responsive, they are relational. And so let's move on to consider how far-reaching the impact of this relationship is. Uh, We've thought about the response, we've thought about the relationship. Now let's think about the reach, the reach of the Ten Commandments. Uh, And the point here simply is this, that the Ten Commandments touch all of life. In just a few short words, they address everything really from my personal life to my professional life to my public life as well. And rather than simply making this point, I want us to think about how, how it is 
the Ten Commandments do this? Because this is a little bit different from the way that the law tends to work today. Uh, What we could say is this. The Ten Commandments are comprehensive but not exhaustive. They're comprehensive but not exhaustive. Uh, By that I mean God has covered everything we need to know. It is comprehensive. But but at the same time, he has done so in, in, in broad principles. This is not some exhaustive list of how those principles apply to any and every given situation. This is a contrast to how law functions in the modern world when you think about it. In fact, one commentator I read aptly points this out. I quote, Modern societies generally have opted for exhaustive law codes. That is, every action modern society wishes to regulate or prohibit must be specifically mentioned in a separate law. And that is, of course, why those government bills run to so many thousands of pages. The author goes on to explain, all actions are permitted that are not expressly forbidden or regulated. Uh, That is, thus, it is not uncommon that criminals in modern Western societies evade prosecution because of a technicality or a loophole. And in fact, most of those thousand pages are about either stopping or creating those loopholes to begin with. And that is, of course, the problem with the law as we think about it today. Uh, Laws are constantly evolving. They're constantly changing to reflect our social situation. But thankfully, God's law doesn't work in that way. Instead, he's given us two big commandments. Love me, love others. And then he's fleshed out how we do that within the Ten Commandments, uh, not in a very specific way, but also in a general way. And in the pages that follow, someone has counted 613 other individual laws. So the kind of two goes to 10, goes to 613. And I have to say, by modern standards, that's still very, very short. We're going to look at a few more of those commandments in coming weeks as we look at uh, chapters 21 through 24. But even as we do that, you'll notice those laws do not cover everything. Instead, what they do is apply the principles of the Ten Commandments. And they do it in sort of a range of sample ways. It almost reads like a kind of case law. Uh, But really, the point I'm making is this. The Ten Commandments are far-reaching, not because they literally cover every single scenario. No, they're far-reaching because the fundamental principles apply to any and every possible situation. Uh, And another way to put that is to say that our relationship with God is a covenant. It is a covenant and not a contract. A covenant, not a contract. What's the difference between those two things? Well, well, think about a contract. A contract very carefully delineates the terms. And those terms actually tend to be stated fairly exhaustively as far as things go. I break one of those terms and the contract is void. And, and most contracts even include some sort of get-out clause. But a covenant is very different. On the one hand, it lacks that kind of specificity. I mean, you make some very general, far-reaching promises. I've already mentioned marriage as a big example. All that I have and all that I am, I give to you. I mean, you don't include in that an asterisk with a a series of possible exemptions. Uh, Whereas and unless you fail to operate the oven correctly, my kitchen will no longer be made available. I mean, you might want to say something like that. But that's not what the promise says. Uh, In a covenant, you you make promises that are much more general, but actually which are much more far-reaching, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. I mean, you're kind of surrendering control there, aren't you? 
Uh, with a contract, you're always maintaining an element of control. Uh, but with a covenant, you're really surrendering your very self. Uh, and so it is with the Ten Commandments. So it is with the commandments of God's word. Uh, this isn't some sort of tit-for-tat with God. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. No, as we've said, it's a response to his mercy. Uh, God invites us into a relationship with himself that is all-encompassing. It, it's far-reaching. It touches everything. Uh, the Ten Commandments provide the core principles for living life with God. And in that sense, they give us everything we need, everything we need to know about the kind of life that God wants. And so far then, here is my defense of the Ten Commandments. We've seen that it is responsive. We've seen that it's relational. Uh, we've seen that it's far-reaching. But, but now we also need to consider how it's relevant, how it's relevant to us. And now I have to say this point's closely related to the last one. If God's law is so far-reaching, obviously it's relevant to every area of life, isn't it? Uh, the Ten Commandments provide us with the kind of guidance we really need. They help us navigate life. I mean, I could give you an example. I, just as an aside here, um, the Ten Commandments were pretty vital when we figured out as a congregation how we were going to handle all of those COVID mandates. Uh, what I want to suggest to you is think about uh, the fourth, uh, the fifth, and the sixth commandment. The fourth commandment, we've got to set aside the Lord's Day. The fifth commandment, uh, we've got to honor authority. The sixth commandment, we've got to preserve life. Now, the answer is not entirely clear of how you put those things together, but you can see those are the key principles, aren't they? God tells us what we need to know, and, and of course, some of it is left to our choice and to our, our preference and to our convictions. Uh, yet God's word is relevant. It, it applies to all of life. It helps us navigate life. But what I want to deal with here is, is a common objection. Uh, we have to ask, do these commandments really apply to us? I mean, they were written, first of all, thousands of years ago. And perhaps most importantly, they were written before the coming of the Lord Jesus. And we don't live in the Old Testament. We live in the New Testament. And doesn't Paul tell us that we, we are not under the law, but instead under grace? Instead of following rules like this, the, the written code, are we not meant to now walk in the Spirit? And now those are some huge questions, and we're not going to uh, address all of them. There's another sermon series in the works, perhaps. Uh, but we want to ask, what exactly is the difference for Old Testament believers and, and believers after the coming of Jesus? And in answer to that, all I want to say for now is this. From the Old Testament to the New Testament, God doesn't change, and, and nor do his moral standards change either. Uh, we need to understand the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives is not to replace the Ten Commandments. Uh, no, the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives is actually to help us obey them. I mean, turn with me to Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah 31, at verse 31. Now, here we see one of God's key promises in the Old Testament. And actually, one of God's key promises in the Old Testament is to promise the New Testament. In Jeremiah 31, at verse 31, we're actually taken back to, uh, to that day where Israel received God's law in the wilderness. In Jeremiah 31, 31, we read... Now behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. Now, does the new covenant involve God throwing out his law? 
No, actually, the new covenant is about receiving a changed heart. Uh, What was once engraved on tablets of stone becomes engraved within. That's the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Not that the law changes, but actually that God, by his spirit, will enable his people to keep it. Uh, This is what Paul is talking about in Romans chapter 8, verse 4. Maybe you want to look up that verse later. Uh, Paul tells us that the righteous requirements of God can now be fulfilled in us. Why? Because God has lowered the standards, like now it's not so hard? No. Uh, Now because we walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Uh, Through his resurrection power, Jesus gives us new hearts. And slowly but surely, our desires begin to change within us. Uh, And so it's not that we no longer need the Ten Commandments to tell us how we live. Uh, No, it's now that we have a new power to understand them. Uh, to apply them to our lives and to begin to live a new way following the grace of God in response to his mercy. Uh, Think about it this way. Uh, Imagine the Ten Commandments are some sort of uh, souped-up sports car. Now, I realize that might be a hard analogy, but but work with me here. Uh, The Ten Commandments are like a souped-up sports car. In the Old Testament, you climb into that car, you turn the key, nothing happens. Uh, You pump the gas pedal, nothing happens. It's a great car, but that car is going nowhere. Uh, Now in the New Testament, it's not that the car has changed. But now, by God's Spirit, there is is gas in the tank. Uh, There's something to move that car. Uh, We're still learning to drive, but we can drive. And so we don't throw the Ten Commandments out of the window. Uh, To mix metaphors, uh, the commandments give us a roadmap for life with God. I mean, take, for example, the law of love. I've heard people say, Something like this. Look, the New Testament tells us there are no rules. We're just meant to love people. Things just get boiled down. They get reduced to the two great commandments. Love God, love others. And now we can kind of jettison all of the others. But what does it mean to love God? What does it mean in practice to love your neighbor? I mean, I love Paul's prayer for the Philippian church. Paul prays for them that their love would grow in knowledge and discernment. And love does require knowledge, doesn't it? It requires discernment. At least if we want to love someone well, we need to understand what is best for them. And this is precisely what the Ten Commandments are really all about. It's not that we can boil them down to love and then throw them away. No, the heart of the commandments is love, but how do we love? Well, we put him first. That's the first commandment. We worship him in the way that he wants. That's the second. We honor his name, his reputation. That's the third And we set aside time to rest and to worship him. That's the law of the Sabbath. If you love God, isn't it helpful to know what God wants? Well, that's exactly what God tells us in his commandments. And how do we love others? Well, well, we respect authority. We honor the sanctity of life at all stages. We recognize marriage as, as core to the fabric of society. We protect private property. We don't steal from people. We don't lie but instead we honor and preserve the good name, the reputation of other people. And in case you didn't notice, I just reworded commandments five through nine. And verse 10 gets to the heart of it, doesn't it? Thou shalt not covet. In other words, the heart of the law is to be content with what you have and truly rejoice when God blesses other people. You see, the reason we wonder if the 10 commandments are relevant to us perhaps is this, that we we miss the points that we've already made. We miss the fact that the Ten Commandments are a response, a response to salvation that God has already won. And we fail to see that they aren't just rules. They are relational. They're about a relationship with God and and a right relationship with other people. 
And we don't stop to think how far-reaching they are, how they intend to provide us with foundational, far-reaching covenant principles. And so we think of the Ten Commandments like a straitjacket, a burden that we have to bear. It's something that Jesus has saved us from rather than something that Jesus has saved us for. And this is to miss the very point that I believe Exodus chapter 20 is making. That in response to his mercy, God calls us into a relationship with himself. A relationship that has far-reaching implications and that is relevant to everything. And if that is true for Israel, whom he rescued from Egypt and brought to himself, how much more is it true of the Christian? God has rescued us not from Pharaoh, but from the power of sin, from death itself, and from the devil. God has carried us not through a wilderness, but through this fallen world. And God has brought us to himself, not, not on Mount Sinai, but rather on Golgotha, at the mountain where Jesus died, and, and through the empty tomb where Jesus was raised to life and now sits enthroned in heaven. And so how much more should we care about the gracious and loving commands that our, our Lord and Savior gives? And how much more should we love and cherish his commandments? I mean, shouldn't we treasure these things in our heart? Shouldn't we seek to follow them in our lives? As a, a people who are saved by Jesus Christ, I'll, I'll leave you to decide that for yourself. And how will you respond to God's mercy? But will you enjoy this new relationship of love that Christ has brought? But will you recognize the far-reaching implications of the new life that he has given you? Uh, will you see how God's words here in Exodus 20 are relevant to your life? Let's pray, shall we? Father God, we thank you uh, for your word. Uh, Lord, we thank you that in your word you tell us uh, the good news uh, of our salvation through Jesus Christ, but you also describe for us the, the new life you've called us to live in him. And so, Lord, we pray that you'd help us to understand your law, uh, help us to understand the heart of love, and help us to grow in love for you and for one another as your people. And, Lord, we pray all of these things in response to your great salvation, the salvation you've won in Jesus Christ. Uh, we thank you that we can say these things, that we can do these things only because of your mercy. And so we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.